Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Hey, everybody. We are so glad you're listening, and we're thankful for our listeners, and I think I want to give a shout out today <laughs> to all of our listeners outside of the U.S. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we have some folks from Germany. Hey, Germany. New Zealand. Hey, New Zealand. Canada. Wasn't there a cool movie filmed in New Zealand? Is it Lord of the Rings? That's probably a lot. Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, Probably several. (laughs) Kenya and Australia. Wow. Yay. Yay, Kenya. Thank you guys for listening. And all of our Mm. Aussie mates. We are thankful for all of our listeners, and we appreciate you tuning in today to episode number 57. You know, it's kind of neat because we're doing chapter 37 and it's episode 57. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you always have to find a connection. <laughs> they both ended seven. Uh, All right. <laughs> it's because I'm a little bit into numerology, yeah. but not obsessively. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You pay attention to numbers closely. Yeah. So we have started the journey of Joseph. Story of Joseph, yes. And just real quick, I just want to. Re- Reminds some overarching themes in the book of Genesis is that God wants to meet with us. He wants to mature us. And there was this big catastrophe where nobody wanted to meet with God and allow him to father him, father them into maturity. So God chose Abraham, met with him on the regular. And now we're all the way up into Joseph. And what's unique about the story of Joseph is that there's very few narratives that talk about people meeting with God, and yet God is still active. He is still very much desiring to meet with people, but Joseph does have some encounters with him, and so there, there's still this overarching theme. God wants to mature us and meet with us uh, so that he can uh, mend our brokenness and also multiply uh, his influence to the nations. And he, he wants to reach and love everyone. So Joseph is very critical in that story of God doing that. Yeah, thank you for that, Tim. And it is important to remember the the big story mm-hmm. when we're talking about these individuals and their lives. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like there's all these stories in the Bible and you just kind of pick up various things like Noah. Oh, that was the flood. Joseph. Oh, wasn't he the guy with a coat of many colors? Right. It's like the, the kid's Bible story. Bible yeah, and, and there's really no connection. Right. It's like it, these, just these random... It's like, oh, here's a person who did this. and <laughs> It's like, oh, well, that's neat, but... Okay. And? Yeah, right. <laughs> so? <laughs> yeah, it all it all fits together in one big story that God is working things out. And mm-hmm. so, so where are we today? So we're going to talk about the story of Joseph being sold by his brothers into essentially slavery, but... We're going to get into that a little bit and then draw some parallels with Jesus being betrayed and sold by his, quote-unquote, brothers Mm -hmm. uh, right before he is handed over to the Roman authorities. Yeah, this is another one of those stories where 
you might be like, yeah, I don't know if, if God can use me. <laughs> I don't know. My family is just is really jacked up. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He and, can. <laughs> and, and if you just yeah, if you just listen to this story, it, you realize, oh, okay, and God can really move through many different things. Yeah, and especially like the idea of like, well, my situation is too jacked up. Right. You know, my I'm I'm in a situation in life where I'm at the bottom, and I seem like everyone else is above me. And here God is going to work through this person, Joseph, uh, who's been rejected by his family, been rejected by his circumstances, and yet God has got this amazing plan for this person. Yeah. And we're not talking like light rejection, like yeah. you can't play with us. <laughs> this is like, no, we are sending you away and pretending like you've been killed. <laughs> yes. It's, 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 it's a pretty deep wound. Yeah. So... Yeah, pretty deep. All right, let's jump in. Okay, so we're, we're just going to read a few of the verses on the front end of the story, and because it's such a long chapter, we're going to narrate some of it ourselves. But uh, in Genesis 37, we're going to start at verse 12. Okay. All right, verse 12. Uh, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers fe- feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. So just by way of some commentary here, he's being sent on an errand, and it's not nefarious. He's I don't think Israel's asking him to tatty tale. He really does want to know if his sons and his flocks are okay because they're a pretty good distance from home. And, you know, back then there's no police. There's no, uh, it, it's kind of open game. Like anybody, if they wanted to take you out, they could take you out. Now, granted, it may start a war between your tribe and their tribe, but there's, there's really no civil government. And so it is kind of risky to venture away from home. And Israel's saying, hey, I want to know how they're doing. I want to know if they're okay. He's he's being a good dad, and Joseph just happens to be the messenger. Now, why Joseph wasn't actually sent out there with them to work with them, well, that kind of heightens the tension. It's like we're out here doing the work, and then Joseph is back at home not having to do anything. Uh, so, you know, there's right away we get a little bit of more tension between the brothers uh, that Joseph is getting special treatment. He eventually goes out there, and his brothers see him coming from far off. And this is what verse 19 says. It says, Then they said to one another, as they saw him coming, Look, this master of dreams is coming. They've, they've already got a nickname for him, <laughs> you know, which is pretty nice compared to what they could call him. But this is what they say. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. Okay, now notice the order here. It's not cast him into a pit and then he dies in the pit. They're going to kill him first and then get rid of his body by throwing it into a pit. Uh, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams now. So... They've got a really nefarious intent here. Joseph doesn't have a clue. He's walking into a, to a really bad situation. 
And, you know, remember Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel, which is the wife that Jacob loved. As these brothers are scamming on how to kill Joseph, uh, Reuben, who was the firstborn of Leah, it's almost like he's like, hey, Joseph's the firstborn, I'm the firstborn, we have some commonality, I have an affinity with him because of this firstborn status. Reuben heard it, and is verse 21, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. And basically he said this, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Uh, so Reuben is stepping in and saying, okay, we can get rid of him, but he's trying to play a trick on him because he actually wants to go back later and get Joseph out of the pit and bring him back to his father. Luckily, his brothers agree, and they say, okay, well, we'll, we'll throw him into this pit, and they do. But after they throw him into the pit, they notice that there's a band of Midianites and Ishmaelites who are traitors uh, passing through the land. And so one of them says, hmm, wouldn't it be nice if we just actually sold our brother and then we could actually make some profit off of him? We won't kill him. We won't leave him for dead in the pit. We'll sell him into slavery. And so they go back and get him out of the pit, take his coat of many colors off of him, sell him to the Ishmaelites, and then take his jacket and dip it in some blood of a goat and bring it back to their father and say, oh, we hate it, but we're not sure who this coat belongs to, but it looks like Joseph's. Maybe you can tell us if it belongs to him or not. You know, kind of playing ignorant with their dad. And then their dad says, hey, wow, yeah, I guess my son was killed by a wild beast uh, on his way to check on y'all. But really, Joseph has been sold into slavery and is on his way to Egypt and is about to be traded with the Egyptians and entering into the Egyptian economy, if you will. One of the interesting things that we kind of want to point out here is that the traders are actually Midianites and Ishmaelites. And the Midianites are actually sort of have a history in the Bible of being connected with God. That They had a priestly class. In other words, like when, when you get into the story of Moses, Moses actually, Moses' father-in-law is a Midianite and he was actually a priest of Midian. And so you get this hint that the Midianites were actually connected with God somehow. Now, later on, they kind of go off track and they end up fighting against Israel. But there's a history of the Midianites being connected with God. Then also the Ishmaelites are, of course, the sons of Abraham. And what's interesting is that the word Ishmael actually means ask God. So... As they're telling the story, it's just really interesting that the two groups of people that come and quote-unquote intervene and are critical in Joseph's life being saved, that there's a connection with God that these people have. And I kind of think it's a little bit interesting that I kind of imagine Joseph being in the pit and crying out to God and asking God, get me out of this you know, like deliver me. 
and then God sends the Midianites, and then he also sends the Ishmaelites, which means ask God, and they're the ones who are actually instrumental in providing a way out for Joseph. So I think I think there's there's a there's a reason these people are showing up and it could be because God they were in partnership with God whether they knew it or not. Uh, God was working through them for the good of Joseph. Mm. The way that things are going here is not God's best way for them for right. this family. <laughs> but yet he can move and bring good things out of difficult things and he can deliver out of situations where we've really messed up. And even in towards the end of the story, Joseph is in Egypt and he gets sold to Potiphar, which is actually one of Pharaoh's officials, mm-hmm. the captain of the guard. So he didn't get just put into some labor camp building something or doing that kind of work. He got sold to you know a high official which is probably a God thing as well because I don't know if that would be normal. Yeah, it's it, you know, most people get sold into slavery, especially like a nobody, like one individual. You know, it's, it's like we don't know if there were other individuals with the Midianites and Ishmaelites that they had a band of slaves or captives that they were taking. But how is it that Joseph ends up getting sold to a high-ranking official and landing in Pharaoh's house? It's it, it it's kind of like that book in the Bible that doesn't actually have the name of God in it, but it's God is all up in the book. You know, is it is it Ruth or is it? He's moving in the whole situation and. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a book in the Old Testament that does not have the name of God in it, and yet it's all about what God has I been doing about and arranging. That. I don't. I'm not sure. It, it's either Ruth. It's it, it's it's one of those smaller books that's it's slipping my mind right now. Right. I'm sure our listeners know what, what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Probably somebody well, hasn't. Um, uh, you know, somebody can Google it to find out. But uh, yeah, God is all over in the story, even though His name is not being mentioned, and it's not saying that this is what God did. It's not until the end of the story that you find out that God makes that claim that God has been working throughout this. So. Even in bad situations, the Lord is making a way out. And it doesn't mean God is the author of the situation. It doesn't mean God orchestrated his brothers to betray him. You know, as I like to say, God is not the author of all events, but he is the master of them. And so he can take an evil situation and bring something good out of it. And I think that's what we're, we're kind of seeing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's jump up to the New Testament and see if we can find some uh, parallels between this story of Joseph being betrayed by his brothers and not really having any care for them and maybe even just looking to make a profit. Uh, let's see if we can find a parallel with that with Jesus. I think we can. <laughs> <laughs> not that I set it up like that, right? <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to Luke 22. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. And Luke 22. Verse 47. I think that's right. Verse 47. All right. Let me read it. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers 
saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Ooh, yeah. So Judas is the obvious. He's very obvious. Yeah. And I don't, it's not mentioned in this passage, but he does do this for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah, he actually goes and gets the money afterwards. Yeah, so there, there is a concern for profit and a lack of concern for the outcome or destiny of Jesus, which is kind of mirrors the situation with Joseph and his brothers. And, you know, something that's unique here too is... Anytime I've thought about Jesus being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, I've always thought that the Roman soldiers were actually involved. But in actuality, they're not. It's, it's the priests and the captains of the temple uh, and the elders uh, who had come to him. Which is almost even more betrayal because it's not like the forces of Rome. It's his people, the Jewish people. That's right. That are actually taking him in. That's right. Yeah, and the, the the parallels, of course, get even higher when you, and I think we talked about this in our last episode, is that the Gospels attribute their motive for doing this to envy. And that's the exact uh, same kind of scenario that Joseph's brothers were working through, is that they they were envious of Joseph. And the religious leaders in Jesus, they were envious of him, and they felt threatened by him. And they said, hey, we got to do something. we we, we got to get rid of this guy. So it's, it's definitely a sad thing. I, I think there's another parallel here, too, is that there's, there's these two voices in the New Testament that talk about God's activity in relation to Jesus' uh, death. And so, like, when you read Acts 2 it says that God handed him over with a predetermined plan. You know, and you're thinking, wow, does that mean God was sending Jesus to his death? Is he directly responsible? But in the same sermon, Luke is going to say, hey, y'all killed him. He doesn't say God killed him. He says you killed him, and his blood is on your hands. And so it's, it's sort of like this mystery of, yes, God is a part of the situation, but he's not directly responsible for the situation. It's, it's human actors, and yet God is still somehow present and active, and yet it's not all that clear what he's doing or not doing and who he's doing it to. And so there's some mystery there. I think we can you know, safely say that, just like in the story of Joseph, God did not, God is not responsible for Joseph ending up in a pit it's his brothers who are responsible. And it's the same thing with the death of Jesus. God is not responsible for the death of Jesus. It's the people that killed him. And those who collaborated in that process are responsible. And yet God is still uh, working in the situation to bring about the good in the process. And so 
it's one of those things that people have a lot of debates about, like what does God do, what does he not do? True. And we we kind of fall on the side of, you know, we don't attribute uh, moral evil to God, and yet God is present and working in and through the evil choices of human beings to accomplish his good purpose. So, yeah, it's a complicated topic, but <laughs> it's... Uh, there, there's a reason why people disagree about it is because it's complicated. True. But you do see how God did do an amazing thing. In the, in the story of Joseph, we'll see that yes. in the future. And also in the story of Jesus, that he, though he died, he ended up dying. He raised him to life and, and that we can have new and abundant life because of Jesus going through that whole process and coming out on the other side. Yeah, that's a great summary. That's a great summary. And it, it, it definitely shadows and typifies what God said about the story of Joseph later, which is, you know, they meant it for evil, but I worked in it for good to save many lives. So it's it's like, yeah, this it, it brings a lot of hope because it means that evil is not just running rampant. It's not just having its way that God is present and working in and through uh, the evil choices of human beings. And evil evil does not have the last word. Yes, great way to say it. Yeah. In the end, the victory is in God and, and His way. So. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're out of time. If it's good, we're yep. going to close it out here. And we really appreciate you listening. Thanks again to all of our listeners. And please go and subscribe if you want to keep listening. And we will continue on the story of Joseph on our next episode as well. That's a wrap. And we will catch you next time.